0: the region's premier medical information program, Call the Doctor. A healthy immune system defends the body against disease and infection, but when that system malfunctions, the body mistakenly attacks itself. That's autoimmune disease, and according to the National Institute of Health, there are more than 80 of them. What happens when our body fights itself? In this episode of Call the Doctor welcome we are so glad you're with us for this episode of call the doctor let's get right to tonight's panelists we have two doctors with us this evening and i would love to start by just allowing you to tell us a little bit about who you are and who you're representing here tonight so dr ramos we'll start with you
1: hi um, i'm julio ramos i'm uh, i'm a president and ceo of ramos rheumatology locally here in la voca uh, kind of born and raised here uh so i'm originally from long island but i came to school to king's college where i was a chief i was a captain of the shooting team there oh wow and uh came uh did my residency here at um, the scranton Temple residency program in scranton did my fellowship training at geisinger Uh, and then i've been since uh 2002 i've been in Scranton, uh, scranton area
0: Welcome, you pointed at this guy, you knew him from way back, huh, (laughs) Dr. Pugliese?
1: Yes, hi,
2: I'm Dave Pugliese. I'm the the director of rheumatology for Geisinger Health Systems. Uh, I've been with Geisinger for 23 years now, so uh, when Dr. Ramos did his uh, fellowship there, we got to meet each other and interact for a little bit, so we kind of go back for a while, but uh, I've been part of rheumatology with Geisinger for a long time, and and we take care of all kinds of different autoimmune rheumatologic conditions.
0: Well, welcome to you both. Uh, Let's get this out of the way first. There's no possible way we're going to get through all autoimmune diseases in 25 minutes. I understand that this is a giant, giant topic. So we'll do our best just to whittle down the basics and what you would love people to take from this. I'll start with just going way the granular what triggers this all the way back to what causes this. Do we know?
1: no the answer is the short answer is no uh, autoimmune diseases are really a vast disorder and we believe that it happens in genetically predisposed patients what is the predisposition again it could be genetics it, but it could be environmental it's a hodgepodge of things that something in a patient gets triggered and the immune system just wakes up and starts attacking your body it feels that the body's is not theirs, and it just keeps on attacking it as a foreign thing,
0: turning on itself.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you name some of the more common autoimmune diseases?
2: Uh, sure. There, there's a whole host of them. Probably a whole bunch of people have heard of. I mean, most common ones that people will know: rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, uh, psoriatic arthritis. Um, I mean, there's there's probably thousands if we were to go through the list, but, um, but, but a whole host of different manifestations of autoimmune disease. And what ultimately winds up determining the diagnosis is how the immune system decides to target the body. Um, so if it decides to target the skin, we may call it psoriasis or lupus, depending on how it does it. If it decides to target the joints, we may call it rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis or some other version of arthritis. Um, and and it becomes complicated because the immune system's everywhere; it can hit any part of your body. Uh, and depending on how it reacts with you, is how we define the name that we put on the disorder.
0: It's anecdotal, but I wonder if more people are paying attention to their immune systems after COVID. You know, People probably didn't think much about their immune system until Mm COVID-19, and now it's, I don't want to say a buzzword, but people are talking about it. Do you find that a lot of this has to do with educating your patients?
1: I think so. I think so. And the fact is that we come back to arthritis, and arthritis is just one of these manifestations of autoimmune diseases. There's about 130 different diseases that manifest with Arthritis, which doesn't necessarily have to be an autoimmune disease, right? But uh, but there's other diseases like thyroid disease is is an autoimmune disease. Uh, So, but I I agree. I think you know you'll see it on TV more often where you see the commercials targeting the medications that we can use for the treatment of autoimmune diseases, and then that brings it up to the patient's family and say, well, maybe I do have psoriasis, you know, and do I have psoriatic arthritis? Let me talk to somebody about it. Uh, And we spend a lot of our time educating patients uh, about those diseases as well.
0: Are there some auto, you were gonna say something?
1: Well, I think the COVID part is very interesting.
2: Um, Part of what makes COVID very uh, unique is it creates an immune response. Uh, And so people who get very, very sick from COVID, Um, it's not all the virus's fault, part of it is the immune system's fault. And so in a lot of ways, COVID is actually an autoimmune disease. Um, And the challenges that we've had understanding who's gonna get sick with COVID and who's gonna get common cold and who's gonna get nothing are the same kind of challenges we face with autoimmune disease. We don't know whose immune system's gonna do what, but the people who get really sick from COVID their immune system overreacts. And in fact, we've in cases treated those COVID patients with rheumatologic medications to help control their immune system and try and prevent it from doing the damage that we see with COVID.
0: It does seem like there's a relationship in many ways between viruses and Mm -hmm. autoimmune, and that makes sense. So COVID
1: is the trigger, Mm -hmm. COVID is the trigger in somebody that's predisposed in some way. Be it, you know, obese people or, mm-hmm. or they have a predisposition to becoming very sick with something that is an insult.
0: And possibly it would have just stayed there dormant all along, but something, you know, stressed out the mm-hmm. immune system. I mean, I'm, I'm asking, not telling, of yeah. course, is that, yeah. that that's oh. the.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and what makes people feel sick when they get colds, viruses, bacteria is not the cold virus or bacteria, it's the immune system. So oftentimes there's a lot of challenge in figuring out is your autoimmune problem just your immune system or is there an underlying infection? Because ultimately what happens with an autoimmune problem is your immune system's treating you like you have something infected, but you don't. And then we have to tease that out and figure out what the story is.
0: If you have one, are you more likely to have others or develop others?
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they immunity is kind of a challenging uh, uh, process. We we see certain conditions that kind of piggyback with each other, and it is not uncommon for a person who has one autoimmune problem to actually have another one develop, or a couple of them. And you know, part of the, the challenge in the conversation is: Do you have four different things? or do you just have an immune system that's presenting in four different places? And some of that's splitting hairs, but the reality is, yeah, people who have one autoimmune problem oftentimes can manifest with another.
0: Do you see that as well?
1: Yeah, we, the, the perfect example is the undifferentiated connective tissue disease patient, where you have vague symptomatology, but you haven't developed the true autoimmune disease that's gonna be fulminant. So, so they can develop, you know, when you have the, the undifferentiated patient, you may develop polymyositis or lupus or scleroderma or there's different branches on that little the trunk of autoimmune diseases. So it's something that we often say to patients, well, you know, we're going to see how you progress, you know, and often we have to wait. As we, as we were discussing, we, we deal, we're very comfortable in rheumatology with uncertainty we live in it, we flourish in it.
0: I would like to talk about that a little more because I think that's an important message for people to hear. You have both said that autoimmune illnesses, diseases present a lot of diagnostic challenges and you often have to set up a, a relationship with your patients so that they can trust you through this arduous process in some cases. so um, What are some of those diagnostic challenges?
1: Uncertainty. Uh, the- one of the most common manifestations of autoimmune disease is fatigue talk I feel tired I can't go through life like this you know I I I can't make it through the day and one, and I tell patients it's the first thing that comes you know when when you have an autoimmune disease it's probably the last thing to go away if we treat it correctly or it may never go away but it, it uh there's a lot of uncertainties that we have to tease and it's mainly a relationship with our patients we're I, I tell you know uh, my patients that i 'm the one writing your story you 're telling it to me, but i 'm writing it, and together we 'll find out what the what the solution is going to be, but it has to be a relationship between the doctor and the patient
2: I think part of the big challenge with all this uncertainty is we have um, Relatively poor tools to use to make diagnoses. Um, you know, nowadays, you know, medicines evolved so much, and you know, a lot of people um, sort of feel like you should come in, you should get your test, and the test should tell you the answer. You get your cholesterol checked, it's high, you get your medicine, it goes down and it's better. Um, In rheumatology, our labs uh, are often fraught with false positives and false negatives. They're associated with lots of different conditions. And so you come in and you say, I have these symptoms and I have these tests they may not match the tests may be false positives false negatives and it becomes very murky water and that's where the relationship comes in helping to understand the truths of the testing we have the balance of what are your symptoms how do they match how do we justify that you have this lab or don't have this lab um and a lot of times we make diagnoses you know sort of the old-fashioned way based on history and exam, and it's sort of uh, the hallmark of what we do in rheumatology is not the CAT scan and not the blood work, it's the history and the exam that tell the story, and we try to make everything else fit around that.
0: What are some of the bigger misconceptions that you hear in your office?
2: Um, Probably the biggest misconception is that I have lupus because I had the lupus test, Um, and uh, the, the problem that, that brings that on is, um, you know, it, it's nobody's fault, but in medical education, we don't get a lot of rheumatology training. So we get taught that this certain test, this ANA means lupus. The reality is that an ANA doesn't mean lupus. It's at best a mediocre screening lab, but you go to somebody who has not been a rheumatologist and they check the lab and they say, oh, your lupus test came back positive. Now we see a person who says I've been told I have lupus um, and we have the, the challenge of making that person feel comfortable when we challenge that diagnosis and challenge that lab and try to reframe the story and say, okay, yeah, you have the lab, but this is actually what clinically it looks like. So
0: you could possibly, I don't wanna say diagnose, but think it's one thing and then a couple months down the road, another symptom pops up or another Whatever the case may be, and now suddenly you think it's a different thing. Is is that hard to get people to trust you sometimes? Yeah,
1: and and the, I think the the bigger diagnostic thing is the fact that some people come in, and have normal lab tests,
0: normal, but they completely feel normal,
1: miserable, they feel miserable. And again, it's it's really listening to the story. You know, they're stiff, they have sores in the mouth, they have ulcers, they have rash. But I have normal lab test, doc, and. It it can't be in my head. Mm -hmm. It's all in my head and I've been to six different doctors and you know, but I feel sick. And we have to tell patients that 20%, 20, one out of every five patients come to the office with a progressive rheumatologic or autoimmune disease have normal lab tests. So it's really up to us to really kind of tease out the story and uh, you know, get a, a plan together to get hopefully a better answer but often that doesn't come in the first visit either.
2: And sometimes the lab test, the flip side to that is the lab test can be positive and there's studies that show it can be positive for ten years before anything ever happens related to that lab test. So, you know, somebody comes in and says I have a rheumatoid factor and we say you don't have rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and that's a, that's a partnership, you have to do that in such a way that They understand why you're saying that. They understand what the implications of the lab are. And so, yeah, you you have to always have that interaction to say, we need to talk. We need to keep the conversation going because things are going to change. Your immune system's up and down. Uh, Things are going to evolve. And when they do, that's when we're going to try to put the puzzle pieces together.
1: But clinical findings (laughs) could be deceiving as well. So I'll give you an example of a patient comes in with a big swollen toe. And they've been, you know, their uric acid level may be a little bit elevated. So here comes the story of a gout patient, right? Well, psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, can present with a big sausage looking toe. And because they're hypermetabolic, they can develop elevated uric acid. So so what seems to be gout, upon further discussion, you know, they have a family member with psoriasis. So you have to tease out again. That story from that patient and say, well, you actually don't have gout, you have dactylitis, which is an autoimmune disease associated with psoriasis involving the tendons. Just looks just like gout.
0: You so, mentioned family members, so there's, is there a strong hereditary component to an autoimmune disease? There can be.
1: There, there, there can, can be. be. So the, the data shows that, you know, so if you have a family member with lupus, for example, so lupus happens in about one to 2% of the general population, all of the world, right? So if you have a family member with lupus, your risk for developing lupus is about 3%. So there's a 97% chance that you will not have lupus, but there's a little bit higher chance. So again, it's about listening to the whole entire story. Uh, and, and, and that includes your family history.
2: It's also interesting that um, if mom or dad have autoimmune disease X, that increases your risk for any other autoimmune disease. So if mom has lupus, that increases your risk for rheumatoid or some other autoimmune disease. So it it doesn't always draw straight lines, but family history plays a role no matter what the diagnosis winds up being.
0: You may not get that same autoimmune issue, but there Mm -hmm. could be that trigger latent Mm -hmm. there. I I heard you say something interesting um, about how many patients you see who feel like maybe it's all in their head. How often does that happen if you have that test, that blood test or the, the diagnostic test that says, nothing's wrong here, I don't see anything. How often do you have to counsel patients through that? Every day. Every day?
1: Every yeah. day, yeah. It's, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult, for particularly for patients because again, these patients have seen six different specialists and you know, they've seen the, the physical therapist, they've seen the chiropractor, they've, you know, seen, and plus they've also seen, you know, patients, the, their friends who've diagnosed them through Google, you know? <laughs> and uh, and they, they come in with what they feel the answer is because of what everybody else has told them. Uh, but then there's a context that we have perspective on because we do this every day. So I tell them, you know, I, I've seen you Eight times today
0: yeah, same you know? thing.
1: and I also tell them that you know they're in the hole, and they're not looking up because the, the light is up 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 there, they're here so they're, they're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, mm. but because over 20 years of experience, we're already seen the light of the tunnel many many of these times, so, so mm. again, it's teasing out those those uncertainties, and you know I mean, I'd be sick and tired of feeling sick and tired as well,: sure.
2: And if you read about you know a lot of these conditions, there are data that show that it may take up to 10 years for people to arrive at a diagnosis. Um, so you can imagine what those 10 years are like, where you feel poorly and you keep going to people and saying, I feel poorly, and they keep saying, I don't find anything in your labs, you don't have anything. So there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of people keep telling me I'm making it up, it's in my head, I'm struggling for no apparent reason Um, and part of that is just the immune system doesn't declare itself very well Um, and we have to you know be good investigators, we have to be patient, we have to be partners Um, and sometimes it does take you know years to put the name on it you have to have a high index of clinical suspicion you have to be really willing to listen to a person and their story and um, put some faith in that and you know work together but it, it can be a very challenging for patients to, I, to go through this. add to that and it's
1: you know you, you there's, there's a character of, a, of a, an elephant where you know, somebody's looking at the tail so you see the neurologist you know, they're only looking at the nerve you know mm-hmm. we have the advantage of one seeing those patients with all the data. So we see the holistic approach of the patient. So okay. we'll, we'll go back and dig down to the to the labs. We'll see, you know, if I have a patient that, go, that has gone to Geisinger, so I can pull all those records. Mm. So if you ask my, my family, they'll see me reviewing charts till like 11 o'clock at night because <laughs> I wanna see what's going on before I go into, because I know it's gonna be a difficult talk. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so it's, we're seeing we're seeing the bird's eye view whereas when they see a lot of the specialists there you know the ENT doctor is seeing the nose the rheumatologist the neurologist seeing the leg you know right. so we're putting those pieces together as rheumatologists so we look great because we have a lot of the information already
0: yeah the benefit of seeing what Hindsight. the other right specialists yeah. have come up with uh, what role does inflammation play and is there a way to, for people to cut inflammation uh, or is there a way to stop inflammation or cut it out somehow?
2: So, So the hallmark of an autoimmune disease is inflammation. Essentially what happens is, your immune system is doing to you what it thinks it ought to do for an infection. And what it does is create inflammation. Um, if you envision cutting your hand, it gets red, hot, swollen, You know, and sometimes there's pus that comes out, all that is inflammation. Your immune system is coming at it, trying to kill the bacteria, the virus, whatever's in there. That's what generates the pain, the swelling, the discomfort, et cetera In an autoimmune problem, your immune system has gotten confused and decides, all right, you know, I think this joint or the skin or this lung or this whatever is an infection. And so it creates inflammation to try and fix that. The problem is it's part of you and it's not really supposed to be fixed. So the inflammation is what manifests the symptoms. what we wind up doing when we try to fix this is trying to create a balance of controlling the inflammation without over suppressing the immune system to open the door for the things the immune system supposed to be preventing. And that becomes a uh, a tricky situation where you've got lots of uh, factors that you have to manage in, you know, infections versus disease, etc. So. so our
1: job as rheumatologists rheumatologist is not to wipe out the immune system. Right. Right. You know, I had this conversation with a patient, you know, today, where like, well, you know, you're giving me this medication, you're taking my immune system away, and I say, oh, that's not what we do. We damper the immune system, so we're kind of holding it down, just so you can function better, without it attacking you again. So we're we're not. And there's, you know, we, we call it cytokines. There's all these proteins that float around in your body, and that's what we trigger. That's what we Um, target when we treat patients with rheumatologic diseases and pretty much all all, all other autoimmune diseases. We just have certain cytokines that we target for rheumatoid arthritis, or we target certain cytokines for lupus, or we target certain cytokines. But we're not at the time in in our lives, and hopefully when my son becomes a physician, he'll find out that, okay, you have rheumatoid arthritis, you have this type of rheumatoid arthritis, this medication works well for this type of rheumatoid, and so we're gonna treat you with this. For example, cancer, you know, you have small cell cancer. There are studies that show that this combination works very well for this type. We're not there then. Mm. We're saying, we're gonna give you this, hopefully it's gonna calm things down, but if not, we'll give it three months, we'll try something else. Mm. And And that creates a lot of... Uncertain for pa- uncertainty for patients because they're, they're like, well, what, what, do you really know what you're doing?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure medication, I mean, treatment of this has to be, uh, that's another whole, that's another entire panel, right? Yeah. Because there's so many different kinds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had said earlier that, that, that treatment-wise, it's really all kind of a, a best guess
2: it is I mean we're we're sophisticated enough to know the principles of how the immune system works we know that the you know white blood cells are coming in they're spitting out these proteins that are the communication factors that pull in inflammation and create the problem what we don't know is which one of those proteins that are being called out is the one working in your body versus the person who's got the same condition next to you or whatever the the scenario is um, you know everybody may look the same from their clinical manifestation but inside we have no way of knowing which one of those you know drivers is the right one and all these studies that we have show good success but you know if you look at the data they all show somewhere around you know seventy percent get a good response and even as you get to great responses those numbers get lower But that means every drug we throw at you could potentially have a 30% chance of, or more of doing nothing. Um, And that's the conversation you have to have right up front. Here's why we're picking it, here's what might happen, here's what might not happen.
0: Is the drug, though, specific to the autoimmune illness, or does it really not matter? If it's your immune system that is wonky, for lack of a better term, will the same drugs treat lots of different autoimmune illnesses?
1: Yeah, um, again, but uh, there's data. So so there's certain medications that we know work best for one disease process. We do have some generic medications we call conventional disease modifying agents that we use for a whole platitude of, medic- of diseases. So methotrexate, for example, is something that we use for lupus, Sjogren's, you know, rheumatoid, psoriatic. So we have some that work, but then there are some that, or FDA approved only for the use of certain medic- so certain disease processes. Maybe they'll work for lupus, but we can't use them for lupus because they're not. We're not allowed to right. because they're not FDA approved. So, um, but we base in the old, you know, rheumatologic world, we used to put patients on bed rest, wrap them with blankets, give them aspirin until their ears rang. <laughs> like really barbaric things you know. Um, bleeding was a treatment for rheumatologic diseases. Wow. Um, and uh, but we've come a long way. Um, and I think what's
2: interesting about the medicines is you know this whole class of new class of medicines these biologics that we use they're the things that are on TV all the time and Mm -hmm. um, you know everybody looks happy running around the yard with their family and um, what's really interesting is at the evolution of these drugs they get studied for one disease and some of the older ones if you watch the time progression they started out being approved for one and some of them now are approved for you know five six seven eight diseases because over time as we've seen them work and we've seen them in different settings and we've studied them differently we're understanding they may do more than one thing and we're relatively young in this field so a lot of the stuff does translate from one to the other depending upon what the condition is what the drug is and you know. The flip side happens too, sometimes they make one autoimmune problem worse. Um, so it, be, it becomes really a complicated scenario.
1: And in saying that, I think one, something that we have to make sure that people know is that our job is not only to try to help people get, feel better, but our main job is to make sure that we balance the risks and benefits of these medications. Of
0: the medications as well. These
1: medications can be extremely toxic, yeah. uh, depending on you know what you're using for, what medication is. So our job is to one, make sure that we're following these patients relatively often doing lab tests make sure we're looking teasing out the medication related side effects versus the benefits. Thank
0: you. Thank you to both of you. This has been a fascinating conversation and I wish we had some more time but unfortunately that's going to do it for this episode. We're really glad you joined us. For all of us here at WVIA, I'm Julie Sidoni and we'll see you next time.